Welcome back to A View from the Couch. My name is Rich. And I'm Jen. And today we're heading back to the past, but also the future. But we're not doing Back to the Future. We're doing Be Kind Rewind. It's another Spielberg flick. It's Minority Report from 2002. Jen, had you seen this movie before? I had. You really? Okay, so now I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. You typically don't like sci-fi movies. What drew you to this movie? Tom Cruise, probably. I don't know. I have no idea why I watched this. Are you a big Tom Cruise fan? Uh, I don't know if I'm a big Tom Cruise fan, but he's got a lot of movies that I tend to enjoy, I guess. The mm. action movies and stuff. Okay, so you, yeah, you definitely are more of a populist moviegoer. You tend to go with like movies that are crowd pleaser type movies, but I don't, I don't ever think of this one as that type of a thing. So I think maybe you got like duped by that idea. Yeah, I remember I watched this. It's been a long time since I've seen this. And also, as I was watching this, I thought, why on earth did I ever watch this in the first place? <laughs> yeah. and, and Okay, so now I don't intend, I didn't intend at all to uh, that for that to be degrading. It's just that the trailers for this movie definitely present it as a more action-oriented film than it really is. Yeah. So I think a lot of people were in that position. So this wasn't a, oh, ha-ha, look at how dumb you were. It was more of a, this is this was one of those bait-and-switch type things. Right, let's that get they people pulled, in so. the seats. Yeah, yeah. Because so if we do trailers to say what this actually is, we might not get people in here. Oh, come on. <laughs> you, okay, well, you're tipping your hand a little bit. Damn. <laughs> Someone's tipping their hand a little. I'm just saying, you know, if if... The trailer was a lot of like, I don't know, almost like a whodunit sci-fi type thing. I probably wouldn't, just because of the sci-fi part of it. Yeah. I don't, like when I see sci-fi trailers, I'm usually starting to check out right away because it's just, (laughs) it's just not my area of interest. It just doesn't hold my interest. Right. So that must have been what it was. I don't remember. It's been long enough ago that I it just I don't remember. It's interesting to me because a really good sci-fi picture or book or anything like that is really just a parable. It's just a method for telling it. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you, we always talked about The Walking Dead and you're always like, well, it's not about zombies. It's about the people. Well, you know, sci-fi isn't so much about the technology, it's about the mm-hmm. story. So mm-hmm. I wonder what that is like. Is there like, is it the unfamiliarity of the surroundings that that, that I don't, don't know. And sometimes they start getting into some of the technology talk and I don't care. <laughs> it's technobabble. It's technobabble it more just, often than I, not. My brain starts tuning out because I don't care. Sure, sure. You know. Okay. And then right. there could be stuff that I might be interested in, but you already lost me because of this over here, and I don't <laughs> care. I, I don't know. It's it's they're harsh and you're mellow, is what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair. All right. That's fair. And it's not like I don't like any sci-fi movies. There's definitely some that I think I've watched that I've enjoyed, and don't ask me to name them because I feel like I wouldn't be able to think of them right now. But oh, well, I was going to ask because I'm genuinely curious as yeah. to what type of sci-fi you'd actually be drawn to. Well, you liked Edge of Tomorrow, didn't you? I love that movie. That movie has time travel in it. Yeah, it does. You and, don't like time, time travel. Time travel is another one that I another one I get stuck on because it's very confusing to me. I start questioning. How does this work? What if this happened? 
How does that go back and do this? I start questioning way too many things. <laughs> we did we did a series. I don't remember what the series was called, but Looper was in there. Yeah, that you, one was you, that you, one was really confusing to me. But you liked it, right? Did, if I'm remembering correctly, you liked Looper. I feel like it was maybe a rent thing for me. I don't. Okay. <laughs> I don't think that was the one that. I that movie to me is okay. Oh, that was the one worth Edge of Tomorrow. That okay, yeah. so we did Edge of Tomorrow, we did Looper, and we did um that one with the train. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. It's got Jake Jolin Hall in it and he's a paraplegic former Marine. Oh and yeah, yeah, yeah. Strapped into a machine trying to solve mysteries. A source code. Source well, code. I barely remember that movie. <laughs> I know I watched it, but I couldn't <laughs> okay. tell you what happened right. in it. <laughs> so just so everybody knows then, that means we are not doing our next our next Be Kind Rewind will definitely not be sci-fi. That is not oh, just Oh, that would be a slog for me. <laughs> hey, I watched Twilight when we started this whole damn thing, so let's talk slogs. <laughs> All right? So anyway, no, this is Whatever. So, okay, yeah, so you had seen this movie before. Do you remember liking this movie from the last time? I like couldn't when you even first tell saw... you. Okay. I don't remember. Well, yeah, you didn't remember even seeing it until you started watching until it, Until I right? started watching okay. it, and I kind of remembered what happened in it a little bit. I, I remember people were chasing him, and, and things turned out okay in the end, but I couldn't remember, like, how... He, everything progressed sure and i obviously haven't seen it since then so it's definitely not on the top of my rewatch list <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah this is this is one of those movies that i call it dark spielberg like around the time of ai and saving private ryan and um Minority report and even munich i think we'll get to that one but these these are movies that are a little bit more a little bit more dark I mean, like when you think of spielberg you think of like E.T. or Indiana Jones or, you know, stuff like that, right? Mm -hmm. But Jurassic Park, not dark. They're fun. They're family-friendly adventures, right? This is a little more... Jurassic Park is family fun. They go to a theme park. Come on. They get eaten by dinosaurs. No, they don't. Like, two people get eaten by dinosaurs. The rest of them get terrorized by dinosaurs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, anyway, so the... (laughs) My point being that this to to is that this is kind of a I feel like this is dark Spielberg. Okay. You know what I mean? So All right, well, why don't you give us the cast and then we can uh, dive in. All right. So, we already know this was directed by Steven Spielberg. Well, wait, how do we know that? I'm just kidding. This was written by Scott Frank, John Cohen, and Philip K. Dick is the person that wrote the short story that this is loosely based on. Indeed he is. This stars Tom Cruise as Chief John Anderton, mm-hmm. Max von Sydow as Director Lamar Burgess, Samantha Morton as Agatha, Colin Farrell as Danny Whitwer, and Catherine Morris as Laura. Philip K. Dick, I don't know if we've done anything else by him. He also did a story called Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep that was turned into a film that was loosely based on that story as well. It was called Blade Runner, which this movie very much reminds me of in some of its sequences, not in its story themes. Have you seen Blade Runner? No. Have We saw The Adjustment Bureau. He wrote that. Yep, we did talk about that movie. Yeah. You saw Total Recall? 
with, with Arnold? Arnold. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, loosely, 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 loosely based <laughs> on another one of his stories. Or Speaking of Total novel. Recall, this was originally written to be a sequel to Total Recall. Like this was supposed to take place on Mars. Is that where Total Recall is, Mars? Well, the end of it is, yeah. yeah. So this was supposed to take place on Mars, but when Spielberg became involved, they completely rewrote the script, and we get what we have now. Okay. This was going to be a sequel... To Total Recall. To Total Recall. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to like imagine the bones to that somewhere in here, and I don't know... Were they going to get Arnold back? I don't... I don't know. I, I don't know. Huh. I wonder... I don't, uh, well, okay, what a, that's weird to me. That's weird to me that this would be a, a sequel to Total Recall. I almost feel like when you rewrite a movie that much, how is it even considered the same movie? <laughs> well, yeah, like it's, it's supposed to be a sequel to Total Recall, but now it's an adaptation of another Phil yeah. K. Dick book? How did that happen? That's not... <laughs> I don't know. That's a, okay, well, whatever. Anyway, anyway, whatever, fuck it. We're just going to keep going. So, <laughs> All right, should we... Uh get into the story sure let's talk about the plot so the setting is 2054 washington dc and we are introduced to the idea of pre-crime which is a police unit and the way we're introduced to it is actually by watching it work which i really enjoyed because we kind of get these concepts before they really explain them we do get a little bit of an info dump with when they bring in Colin Farrell's character, Danny mm-hmm. Whitwer. But we first get to see the precogs recognizing a murder going to happen, and we don't know quite what's going on right off the bat. Mm-hmm. We just see we see something that looks like a murder, a guy putting on glasses, he's got scissors in his hands, he raises the scissors, a precog says murder, we get a ball dropping and it rolls down and it's got a name on it. Then we get Tom Cruise doing the dance of the digital screens like Mm -hmm. he's got these cool touch gloves on that you know he's moving stuff around and doing real sci-fi things with them i watched making a video yeah with this scene oh yeah you know and obviously there's nothing up there right and so tom cruise before the takes would be like okay what am i supposed to be looking at here and spielberg would have to explain what he oh, was yeah. doing so that way he was making the right hand movements and looking in the right spot and right yeah it was kind of interesting sure yeah so. well that's that's kind of how they have to do it especially with like well at that time we were still kind of yeah the, in the adolescence of cgi not All the right. infancy you br- but... you're bringing up cgi so let's go ahead and talk about the cgi in this movie real quick some of the cgi is bad it is dated yeah it is dated as hell yeah yeah <laughs> it remind it made me think of jurassic park honestly because jurassic park is a lot of practical effects and i thought There's some cgi yeah there is some cgi which was dated in that movie too yeah but a movie like this you can't do a lot of practical effects which i thought is too bad when you're watching it 20 some years later <laughs> you can you could tell i mean yeah. it looked it looked bad I think that's the problem that we're going to have. I mean, if you look at the Star Wars prequels, that you can still tell what's CGI and what's not. In some cases, not always, but I think the the thing that they had going for them with Star Wars is that everything was a creation of CGI when they got into those later prequel movies. Mm-hmm. So, because this is around the same time, like the '99 through 2005 is is 
prequel era Star Wars, and this is 2002. This is dead in the center of it. Mm-hmm. Do we know if Lucasfilm did the did the special effects for this? I'm not sure on that. Okay. Well, if they did, I feel like they maybe they didn't put their best foot forward because, like you said, it is it is dated. There are scenes where there are scenes where it works absolutely. The spiders that will come later, those work. That yeah, that yeah. was pretty cool. The there's a scene where <laughs> okay, so Anderton, Tom Cruise's character, is the head of pre-crime. We'll get to that in a second. I'll, I'll get right back to that here. So I'm just going to give a little background. He's that he's the he's the head of. I mean, not the head of, but he's like kind of the leadership role for pre-crime. He's the guy that does the dissemination of the information that's coming from the precogs. He interprets what they're seeing and tries to figure out where this crime is supposed to take place in the future. Now, you've got two different versions. You've got a brown ball and you've got a red ball. Brown ball is something that's going to happen within 36, 36 to 48 hours. Red Ball is an imminent crime of passion type murder. And Anderton, you know, he he, he got into this because his son was taken. Mm-hmm. What, six years ago? Was that what it was? Six years before this, before the events of this movie? And he has kind of spiraled off into drug addiction and his wife left him and he's been really focused on trying to stop crime from happening. Now, where I was going with this is he goes and see, he goes on a jog where we get kind of a dump about like what pre-crime, pre-crime is and how it works. And it, in <laughs> the way that it happens is, is he's running, we're seeing like these newscasts on the buildings that are talking mm-hmm. about pre-crime and now it's working in DC and if it works, they're going to go nationwide and blah, blah, blah. And he goes to see this drug dealer and the drug dealer has no eyes this is where you really start to notice that the CGI is way the fuck off. Way the fuck off. <laughs> yeah. Because the eye holes are just weird floaty things in front of the guy's face. Yeah. Much like Harrison Ford's face in <laughs> Dial of Destiny for me. So I think with older movies with CGI, if the movie is a good story... And we've got compelling stuff happening. I think you can look beyond that. Absolutely. You know, you yeah. might notice it, but you don't care. <laughs> yeah. If it's a movie that maybe could use some work, or maybe if it's not something you're into, like a sci-fi thing, it boy, I can tell where really you're going with this. <laughs> stands out a lot. Okay. Like, wow, that looks terrible. Because <laughs> honestly, special effects stuff is low on my list of things I pay attention to in movies. Hmm. So when I start noticing this stuff, I'm either not interested in the movie or it is really bad. <laughs> so it takes you right out. Yeah. If the story's not good enough, it'll take you right out. Right, right. I have the opposite effect. I can still enjoy a story even if the special effects are bad. If I'm enjoying the story, I can still recognize, hey, you know, that that's shitty special effects. But you know what? The rest of this movie's fine. Mm-hmm. So I can forgive it more mm-hmm. than I don't notice it. I think it comes from reading comics for so long. And I'm not trying to be facetious here, but I really do think it comes from reading comics for so long because I think there are times where I can read a comic book or a comic story, like an arc, where the art is just horrendous. But if it's written in a really good way, mm-hmm. like if it's a compelling story, I don't give a shit if the art's bad or not. 
Yeah. You know? I think we're kind of saying the same thing here, just in different ways. But yeah, hmm. I, I feel like if it's something you're enjoying, you're you're not going to dwell on it or pick at it as much, hmm. you know? Okay. All right. I feel yeah. like you're going to pick at it. No, I just, when I was watching this this time, I, I definitely was noticing, oh, that looks bad. Oh, yeah. that looks bad. Well, oh, we're talking about bad. a movie that's 20 years old now. <laughs> Minority Report is over 20 years it old. Is, yeah. How crazy is that? I know. Like, and I was trying to think, okay, this is older. This is dated. you got to kind of give it that. But for me, I just, I kept noticing it. And yeah. 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 You definitely notice it. I think when we get into like the car chase, you notice it a lot in the car chase. Although those cars pretty damn cool right they drive themselves they're on Mm -hmm. tracks you don't have to worry about anything they bring you right to your house Mm -hmm. drop you off wait for you to come back i want a car like that it'd be great (laughs) as much driving as i do shit so anderton's unit pre-crime is being audited by the department of justice and that's where danny whitworth comes in colin farrell's character he wants to make sure that pre-crime works but he has ulterior motives he wants to be in charge of pre-crime he wants that job. And so he's really kind of pushing Anderton to maybe find something wrong with Anderton more than with the pre-crime mm-hmm. thing. He, his his investigation veers way the fuck off from, like, is pre-crime working and into, like, is Anderton a competent leader? Right. Yeah. It, it, it does yeah. veer off. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. We find out he has his own aspirations. He's yeah. A, you know, he's it, kind of. It seemed like he was really interested in how stuff worked and what was happening and all that stuff at first. And then all of a sudden it took like a really like weird turn. But Character arc wise, it makes sense, though, because if he wants to be in charge of it and Mm -hmm. he has no knowledge of it because nobody really knows how it works. Mm -hmm. That's why we're getting this info dump. But if he wants to be in charge of this, don't you think he should understand how it works? That's why he wants all that information. He, he but doesn't why care does about... he want to be in charge of it if he doesn't even know how stuff is working He's or a bureaucrat. what it is? He's a bureaucrat. Oh. <laughs> He's a bureaucrat. He doesn't care too much about how it works. He wants to have that working knowledge so that he can demonstrate that when mm. he's going for this job. But he doesn't care enough to actually get down into the dirt with Tom Cruise's character, with Anderton, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? But Anderton, they, they stop a murder at the beginning of the movie. We get to see pre-crime working and doing its thing basically they get an, a call that that from the precogs that says hey this one guy is going to murder his wife it's a crime of passion there's a rush to get to it it's a great action sequence i really enjoyed the action sequence here because it puts you right into the middle of pre-crime and the idea of it now for morally, I am completely opposed to the idea of pre-crime so okay thank you just, i was going to ask you about this because yeah. i feel like because, like, the guy's like, I didn't do anything. He hadn't. Right. What? Where did all of the standards of innocent until proven guilty happen? Did they just throw all that out the window because yes. of this pre-crime, pre-crime thing? Yes. And here, well, here's the thing. Here's the really interesting concept is they're going to actually visit whether or not the precogs visions have to be what they are. Mm-hmm. Do the precogs actually see the future or do they see a possible future? Because Anderton himself is going to be put into a situation where he's going to be able to make a choice. Everybody gets to make that choice, right? right? Mm-hmm. So if we're if they we if they are arresting people based on what the precogs are saying they might do, they're not doing any service, right? At all. 
Uh, and, because and, obviously they can make a change because Tom Cruise did. Right, right. Not Tom Cruise, but Anderton. <laughs> right. Yeah. He's always Tom Cruise. That's the thing is he's always Tom Cruise. And you notice he's running in this movie, right? He runs. He, he what does. does Tom Cruise do? He runs. But he didn't ride a motorcycle, though, did he? He does motorcycle run and something else in every movie. But he doesn't Dance? ride a No, dancing is John Travolta. I don't think he rode a motorcycle, but he did ride like a like the the car thing, mm-hmm. which is kind of cylindrically shaped and kind of like narrow. So maybe you can consider it that. I don't know. So anyway, so where were we going with that? Tom Cruise running. Where were we going? I with don't know. That? Just making fun of Tom Cruise, I think. Oh, yeah, that's right. You said it was Tom Cruise. Yeah, because it's Tom Cruise, right? Yeah, it's not Tom Cruise. Okay, so speaking of Tom Cruise, Anderton, after he, you know, after they stopped this this crime from happening and they arrest this guy, they put a halo on him, which we're going to later find out is the way that they kind of stop these guys. I don't remember seeing a trial for this dude. There is no trial. He just gets put into the cylinder in the prison. Mm-hmm. And what are they playing in front of him? Are they playing his crime in front of him? Or his supposed pre-crime in front of him? Because when you see... You don't actually see this guy, but we're going to see later that they put... Excuse me, because Anderton is going to go and find a person that was arrested for a crime that he's trying to solve. And we see that they're in these cylinders. What they do with these people when they put this halo on them is they put them in these cylinders and they have like a video screen playing in front of them. But their eyes are closed. Is this like a I thought they were in a coma. Yeah, is this like a feed going into their brain of like what is what they did or what they were supposed to have done? No idea. They don't really flesh that part no. out at all. It's just this technological goofiness. I think it's more right? for the audience to see what each of these, like these each had. Like what their crimes were? Right, what or their what their crimes, crimes were going to be? Could have been. I don't know. Fair. Fair. Anyway, so they they arrest the guy. That's, there's some info dump about like how pre-crime works and what Danny Whitworth is doing there. But then... The precogs have another vision. And the next murder that's supposed to be committed is going to be committed by John Anderton himself. Now, I have a big problem with this. Here's the thing. <laughs> okay, let's hear what your, what's your big problem with it. So, if Anderton never would have been shown this clip... Or this premonition, mm-hmm. he would have never known who this guy was. They would have never gone after him. None of this ever would have happened. Well, okay. So how is this a premonition if he was never shown that in the first place? He would have never done any of that. So how are they predicting a future if he has to be shown this before he goes to do it? <laughs> that is, that's the loop. That's but if he was He's never shown, shown this, he would have never... So how is this a premonition <clears throat> by them? So they have to make this up and put this out They didn't there. make it up. They didn't make it up. No, see, okay, so here's where here's where it gets a little weird because later... Okay, now we're going to have to spoil the end of the movie. Later we're going to find out that Lamar, the guy that runs pre-crime and is trying to make big money on pre-crime, has actually had, had visions implanted in the precog's brains to give to Anderton. 
how? Uh, how do you implant something for a clairvoyant? I don't know. But what you could also argue is that they didn't actually come from the from the precogs themselves. It could have just been something that they had uploaded and it got sent over. Because he, he runs the whole thing, you know. Yeah. Lamar runs the whole thing. So if he sends this he sends him on this path, he actually sets him on the path to go but, after the guy. But Agatha uh-huh. when they're in the room is acting like she had this premonition and because she's very aware of what is happening and that he has this choice in this moment. When they're in the mo- the room? In the room with the okay, guy. Okay, because by the time they're in the room with with Leo Crow, that is imminent. It's truly imminent, not just a planted thing. Okay, and her powers still work according to the according to the movie. Right, because she she knows how where to go and whatnot. Right, so so her by that time her premonition is true. It's not just an implant. So Mm -hmm. I, I think that still works because. Her powers still work. Her abilities as a precog- precognitive creature or person still work at that point. All right. I still think it's hooey. I don't know. I don't think it makes any sense th- to me I think- that that this these humans that have these premonitions and whatnot can predict something that only would happen if they showed him this prediction anyway. No, they didn't they didn't have that prediction. <laughs> they didn't have that prediction. That prediction was planted by Lamar. Yeah. That prediction I... was planted by Lamar to set Anderton off because he only goes back to the precogs after he's run and he comes back. Mm-hmm. He gets the new eyes and all that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's meant to just set him off and set him, basically just set him up to be like a murderer. Now the precogs, they can't talk. They don't, I mean, they talk, but they don't like, they're not cognizant of the present world. No, they can't they keep them, them in like a coma t- state or something. Yeah, they yeah. keep them in the future, these people basically. They don't mm-hmm. exist in the present day. They can't escape whatever visions they're having. Now, with this technology, they can easily plant something. The because the precogs can't be like, whoa, whoa, that that wasn't us. That wasn't us, guys. That was, we didn't do that. That wasn't us. We didn't see that. You know? Yeah. But what it does do is, okay, so it sets Anderton off. He goes running. He gets chased. There's a kind of a cool sequence where he's chased on jetpacks and they're flying around. Like the practical stuff was cool. I thought was cool in that stuff. He... Uh, he knows that he's got about 36 hours before this alleged murder of Leo Crow will occur. Mm-hmm. And he tracks down the person who helped create the precog technology. Her name is Iris Heineman or Hineman. And she is a scientist who tells John that basically there can be burps in the system. There can be hiccups. The precogs will sometimes disagree, and it's usually the strongest of the three that will disagree, that will have a different vision of what's going on. And that one is the female, Agatha. Okay, I'm going to back up a second again. Sure. Okay, so this implanted vision 
You're still stuck on the I, implanted vision? I, I swear to God, this really bothers me. Okay. This implanted vision, it's supposed to happen in 36 hours. Uh-huh. Does the director guy who set this up, wouldn't he expect because Anderton sees this right here that he's going to get arrested right away? Or does he expect that Anderton's going to escape and evade for 36 hours exactly to set up this hotel room that this guy is in. That's the second one. It's the second one. His plan is to have Anderton get to that hotel room and then let things play out the way that they would play out. Because what he does but what is if, he sets... But if he a, gets arrested right there, I mean that... The problem is solved then. Yeah. He's arrested for the pre-crime. You know, in okay. this world, in this world, remember... <laughs> In this world, you don't have to have actually committed a crime as long as the, quote-unquote, in this situation, quote-unquote, precogs have had a vision about what's going to happen for sure, right? Mm-hmm. So they catch Anderton, they halo him, they put him away, job's done, right? Job's done at that point. Mm-hmm. If... I think what happened here is that Anderton running fucked it all up. Anderton getting away fucked it all up. And that, within that 36 hours, Lamar has to organize this whole thing, get this guy to this this thing. I think that that, for a person in power, easy. They tempt this mm-hmm. dude. They tempt this dude with, like, your family's going to be okay. All you need to do is let this guy kill you. We're going to take care of your family for the rest of their lives. You'll but never have to worry vision, about it. But their vision, though, that his vision that he implanted mm-hmm. had Agatha in the room and had and had that window, the billboard thing. The billboard so thing, So how yeah. would he have been able to implant that vision knowing he would go back and kidnap Agatha? Are we sure Agatha was in the yeah, vision? Yeah, because that is how... Because the other guy, Colin Farrell's character... When he's looking at it, he finds Agatha in oh, the yeah. prevision. Yeah, you know what? You're right. You're right. See, this is why sci-fi is very confusing to me because <laughs> it doesn't make sense. <laughs> Sometimes it makes sense. Sometimes it makes sense. I, I'm just I'm I'm being over the top here, but um, <laughs> yeah, you are. I'm this. I was very confused with this, how this was working, and how. I just felt like there's so many pieces that could fall apart in this thing. <laughs> I don't know. It just didn't make sense to me. Yeah, I think to me this this uh, you know when you when with that exposed, that is kind of a major flaw here. It feels like maybe something ended up on the cutting room floor. It, I mean, it has to. It has to be because what sets what sets the what sets this whole thing in motion is, like you said, the vision itself. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Which I feel like the vision wouldn't be their vision because right. he can't commit a crime if he doesn't even know this person. Well, and then, so then it makes more sense that it was implanted, but if it was implanted, then how would they know the things that they know in there? I That... I'm going to let it go so we can talk about the rest of the movie. <laughs> but I wanted to make sure I talked to you because I feel like sometimes, this wasn't making sense to me. Sometimes you have to just go with what's going on, right? I mean, right. 
there are lesser movies that we allow for, you know, mm-hmm. smaller inconsistencies mm-hmm. than this. But you're right. That is an inconsistency. How would Lamar know that Agatha was in there? And I'm sorry. I, I was, you're right. I was completely wrong there. I was misremembering that. I totally forgot that Agatha was in the implanted vision. Mm-hmm. But you're absolutely right. It does, it does fuck up the, the concept entirely. So really then it becomes a question of are you going to go with it or are you going to right. are you going to are you going to pick at that and be like nah I'm not okay with this because every, it doesn't make I, any sense I feel like almost every movie has something that people could pick at and if you're going to pick at it or not is going to depend on how much you like the rest of the movie Sure it's called yeah. the suspension of disbelief yeah. you know I mean are you are you willing to suspend disbelief enough to to give this movie this conceit and just enjoy the rest yeah. of it yeah yeah so good, good, good. Fine, good call. Good way to think about it because I, like I said, I wasn't there. I, I, I was there. I wasn't like, I didn't even pay attention to that detail. Didn't even think about it. You're absolutely right. So back to what John was doing. He he is talking to Heinemann, who tells him that sometimes one of the three precogs will have a vision of the future that differs from the other two. And that person is usually the strongest one, which is the female, Agatha. She's the most talented of the three. They call these things minority reports, but they have kind of, they said the name of the movie. They said the name of the movie. They said the name of the movie like 86 times, <laughs> yeah, <they> by did. <laughs> the way. But so basically they, they've, they've kind of tamped this idea down because they don't want people to... It, it would cause people to question the credibility of what? the What? Maybe we shouldn't be arresting everybody yes. just because? Right. No. Now, oh, so, so, <laughs> so basically, you got, when you think about it, these guys are, I, we're talking about like corporate bureaucrats here who are kind of keeping an essential piece away from public knowledge because of what they want, which is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. They want to make a lot of money off of this. Mm-hmm. And I think if I'm remembering correctly, Heinemann, she left because of this disagreement with how they were going to implement that, right? They, mm-hmm. She she kind of got out of it because of that. She kind of went into seclusion. But Anderton kind of puts two and two together and says, hey, the only way I'm going to survive this is if I make it public about these minority reports because now I have one of my own. I can actually put this out there and show people mm-hmm. that this doesn't work. So we get this sequence where John has to get new eyes. And he, and the reason he has to get new eyes is that everything is based on eye tracking. Mm-hmm. Retinal scans. Yeah. yeah, which, what the fuck? Like everything, even like shopping. Th- this is like the biggest invasion of privacy I've ever seen in my life. Like if this ever got implemented, I'd be like, I'm out. I'm done. I would go into seclusion. I would be Heinemann. I'd be out. I'd be off like gardening somewhere. Fuck this. I'm not participating in this society ever again. Like you, the guy, he walks into the gap and they're like, hey, how's it going? How do, the, how do those tank tops go for you? No, he's not him because he, when he mm-hmm. gets the new eyes, they're from a dude named Mr. Yamamoto, I think it was. Yeah. The the morality of retinal scanning people just as they're wandering around because there's like 
tailored news feeds to them. Like when you're reading a newspaper, it shows you things that you want to see based on, I mean, this is like, think about the algorithms on say like TikTok or Facebook or this is already happening. Mm-hmm. They're just not doing it with our eyes yet. Yet. <laughs> this shit is already happening. And truly, I'm not okay with it. You know? Anyway. So, John, when he goes to when he goes to get new eyes, he goes to a guy that he had once put away. And the dude does the eye thing, but he leaves him like rotten food cuz he's got to like he's got to like let it heal for 12 hours before he can make off with the eyes. And he's not supposed to open his eyes. Don't open otherwise, your eyes. he'll go blind. He'll go blind. Right. So, he's got but like He doesn't. He's got he's got like wraps over his eyes. But my question is, if you're going to have a dude cut your eyes out and put other eyes in, wouldn't you rather have it be someone that you didn't fuck over? Right. I mean, that's some bad fucking planning by Anderton. Like, Mm -hmm. wouldn't you check out the guy that's going to do... I mean, I realize you're on the run, but maybe just like a tertiary scan, you know? Like, like, go in there and be like, you know what? You look familiar. I think we're good. I'm going to go find a different eye surgeon. Yeah. Like, what the... Is this the only underground eye surgeon guy in the whole of DC? Yeah. Also, <laughs> also, I would think like an eye transplant like that would be a very long surgery. And I think it would take more than 12 hours for your eyes to probably heal that thing. In the present, <laughs> maybe. But we're in the future. We are currently, what, 30 years away from this? I may actually live to see this future. Like, at least the year that this takes place. Right. I want to be here in 2054, so whatever we need to do to keep me alive, I just want to see what happens in 2054. I want to see if we're actually doing pre-crime by then. All right, so John goes to a hacker who downloads the minority report involving the murder of Leo Crow. By this time, he's already got Agatha, though, doesn't he? When does he go back to get Agatha? After, the, oh, it's after the eye surgery. That's after right. The eye surgery. So he goes to the he goes gets his eyes changed, and then he goes. He takes his current eyes. He's like, I want my eyes back. Oh, they come to get him. They think he's there, and they send in these little spider robots that we were talking about before. They find Anderton with his eyes covered, and then the spider like scans his eye and confirms that it's not him. Also, I'm pretty sure that's where he should go blind in that eye. Maybe he is blind in that eye, but they just never address it. Yeah. Also, one thing that was not CGI that I found here is, you know, when he's under the water and there's that little bubble thing yeah. that, him, that was supposed to be CGI, but Tom Cruise taught himself how to do that. So how to that make a could, bubble? How to make a bubble come up the water like that. I'm confused. I was confused because I thought, why do we need to do a CGI thing? Can't he just do a bubble? But apparently it was enough of a thing that it was put out there in their... <laughs> Behind the scenes notes. <laughs> I, I'm confused. What does that... I mean, like, how do you not know how to make a bubble with your mouth or with your nose? I've never tried, I guess, to see if I could make one little bubble escape. I suppose it's one. So he taught himself to release one bubble of yeah, air? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fucking... Okay. I have to say, though, for Tom Cruise in, you know, he seems kind of like a weird dude with the whole Scientology stuff, but... Oh, he's definitely a weird dude, and the Scientology isn't even the beginning of it. 
But I mean, this dude does a lot of his own stunts. He he knows how to do a lot of stuff. I mean, he's very dedicated to he the is. art. Yeah, he's so. dedicated to what he does. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I'd call him a talented actor because you always consider him to be Tom Cruise playing whatever he's doing. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever seen him disappear into a role. I've always assumed him to be just Tom Cruise in this movie. You know what I mean? So he kind of takes me out of things when I watch him. But he is, like you said, dedicated. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even now, what is he, like 70, 65, 70 years old now? So how old is that guy? I don't know. How old is Tom Cruise? I have no idea. Huh. I will look it up. Yeah, maybe. You know what? Maybe he's not. He might be only 10, maybe 10 years older than me, 60 maybe. I don't know. He Okay, so here's the thing. Tom Cruise, even now, Dead Reckoning Part 1, Mission Impossible movie that just came out, he did all of his own stunts in that, too. That's like Harrison Ford. He is 61. 61, okay. That's like Harrison Ford in Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull doing his own stunts, but Harrison Ford was in his 70s by that time. So Wait, no, was he in his 70s? Hang on, 80, 2008, 18, 15 years ago. It was late 60s, so... Yeah, he's like Harrison Ford doing his own stunts. I like that. I dig that. There's something to that that kind of makes me feel like, you know, we're all aging. You know, I'm mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pushing 50. I'm going to be 50 here in a couple months. And I think that Tom Cruise being someone who does his own stunts still at 61 years old gives me hope that, like, you can age gracefully, right? You can mm-hmm. still be a, an active, you know, participant in society and in you know in other things by you know with that kind of stuff i like seeing it you know what i mean mm-hmm. so yeah yeah so he, after he gets the eye surgery and they scan his eye and he doesn't go blind he goes back to the precog pre-crime headquarters excuse me and he he takes agatha he, he basically takes her out of the thing because what had happened earlier is she had touched his hand. She would grabbed his arm when he was in there. He, they weren't supposed to be in there, but the Whitwer character forced them all to go in to, like, investigate how pre-crime works or whatever. And Agatha, after everybody had left, had grabbed Anderton and shown him a vision. Now, he knows that Agatha is the, is the strongest of them, and he knows that she's aware of him. So he goes and takes her to try and solve this mystery. Plus, she's the one that would have the minority report. She's the one that would have the minority report. They figure out that the other two had one vision and Agatha had the minority report, her version of that. So they go to a hacker who this guy runs like a a VR like playground or something mm-hmm. where you can like, there's a guy that shows up who wants to kill his boss. He's like, I want to play a game where I kill my boss. And like the guy's like, I can make that happen. Yeah. You know, meanwhile, he's got people having sex with, you know, AI things, or at least, you know, the concept of it and, and like all these other things going on around it. But this dude wants to kill his, his boss. And he only relents, he only relents when Anderton walks and he's like, Hey, get out of here. You psycho. I don't do that kind of stuff. You make, you giving me a bad name or whatever. But I thought that was a cool concept. This, this VR like lounge, I guess maybe not this sleazy, but like the VR lounge is kind of cool in it, but it makes me think of total recall. Mm-hmm. I wonder sure. if this is a leftover from the total recall script. Maybe because 
there is in Total Recall, that's the that's the conceit, right? The right. idea is you can live another life. You can be, you know, someone else for a little while. And that's what these people are doing. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. So they go to this guy and they they go to this guy to get the minority report downloaded from Agatha's brain. But when he tries to do it, there is no murder of Leo Crow in Agatha's brain. This is why I think it was a plant, but you're right. If it is a plant, how's Agatha in the thing? How do they know that he's going to take Agatha? Mm-hmm. Or maybe if it was a vision, there was no minority report. They all had it. Because if they all have the vision, then there's no minority report. Created. Right, right. Interesting. I don't know. Anyways, moving on from that topic. Yeah, so, okay, yeah, <laughs> we, we don't want to revisit that. Okay. So while he is reviewing Agatha's visions, he's kind of going through them to make sure he comes across... The memory that he saw just before he ended up getting ta- tagged as the as the next murderer. It is the drowning death of a woman named Anne Lively by someone who we can't see their face. Mm-hmm. And Anderton takes that info along with Agatha and he goes to Leo Crow's apartment. This is where this is where the the MacGuffin in question comes into play for you. Mm-hmm. Where we he finds there, John finds there that there are a bunch of photographs laying out on the bed of various children with this dude Leo Crow. And, and he's one, at a hotel room and my question again is why why would a serial killer go to a hotel room and lay out all of his victims' school pictures and other stuff like it's that. Only the, it's only there to incite. It is, yeah. but it just seems weird. It does, but if you think about it, okay. Now, I for me, this movie hit differently this time around because I'm a parent now, but we find a picture of Sean, mm-hmm. Anderton's son, with this Leo Crow character. Mm-hmm. And this seems to confirm that Leo Crow was, in fact, the person that killed, or abducted at least, Sean. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine yourself in this situation. You come across information that proves, in your mind, that this person had something to do with a child that six years ago was abducted. Your child. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I agree. I feel like you wouldn't be thinking correctly Right. At your that brain point. wouldn't yeah. be processing, why is all this stuff out here? Right. You're just going to be acting entirely on emotion at that point, mm-hmm. which is, I think, what they're counting on. So I agree it is, and even Whitmer's going to point this out later, this is what we call an orgy of information. Uh, orgy of evidence is what he calls mm-hmm. it. And he says, you never see this. It doesn't happen. Yeah. But Anderton is, like, if he's a cop and it's not his kid, he would take note of this. But because it's his kid, it clouds his judgment. Right, right. So I think this still works. It's just there to be the match that strikes. This is you know why I mean? he's going to, quote unquote, kill this dude. Correct. Yes, exactly. So Crow, he admits to it while Anderton's beating the crap out of him. He's like, no, I put him in a barrel. I was real gentle with him. He kept floating up, but I had to like... I had to take him out of the barrel and put him back in the barrel. And he's, he, like, basically just eggs him on, right? He wants to die at this point, we find out, because he has been promised that his family will be taken care of, like I said before. But it turns out that he's not actually Sean's killer. He was just told to be Sean's killer for this 
by some rich white dude throwing money at somebody to kill himself. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, right? Like, what kind of a dystopian world is that in the future there where, like, this guy is so desperate to have his family be okay that he's willing to just get himself killed? This Lamar Burgess is a dick. Right. I mean, he's a terrible person. Yeah. He knows about these fake premonition things and Mm -hmm. that there's issues there, but he hides it. And then this whole thing. Like, somebody that's supposed to be his friend, he does this to. Yeah. Yeah. So, Crow ends up dead, but not at John's hand. John is going to arrest him. The the whole time that John is, like, going to try and kill him, he's, like, threatening Leo. Agatha is telling him, no, no, you have a choice. Mm -hmm. You can choose differently. Now, they say that it's because he knows what the narrative is he can make the choice. But the truth is, everybody can make a choice. We don't know what that Marx guy at the beginning of the movie was going to do. We know what the precogs said he would do. Mm -hmm. But we don't know for sure that that was what was going to happen. Maybe he decides to... I mean, he was wound up, but maybe he throws the scissors instead. Or maybe he puts his hand down. Right. Like, there's just no way of knowing for sure that that was what was going to happen. Okay, so they come for Anderton at Crow's hotel room, but he ends up getting away, and he runs to the home of his estranged wife, Lara. Anderton discovers that the drowning victim, Anne Lively, was Agatha's mother, who she had a... She was addicted to a drug. What was it called? Neuro... Neuroin or something like that. It's like neurological heroin or something. I don't know. But like basically she's a heroin addict. She gave Agatha up. She sold her actually to pre-crime. The pre-crime program. And then when she went to go get Agatha back after she got herself off the drugs, she went to rehab and she got out, she was murdered. So this is where Anderton starts to realize that he was framed for the murder of Leo Crow because he discovered the connection of Anne Lively and Agatha. Mm -hmm. That's why they framed him Mm -hmm. because they've got to. So basically this whole thing, like you said, yeah. Okay. So they, they're hiding the idea of a minority report and all that other stuff. But Lamar is even more insidious than that. He murdered or had murdered Anne Lively so that he could continue to use her daughter and keep her daughter in slavery Mm-hmm. to create this pre-crime unit. Mm-hmm. Lamar is like a hideous, a hideous individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Whitwer, at the same time, is kind of reaching the same conclusion about Anderton's involvement in Crow's death. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to figure out why somebody would frame Anderton. He studies the footage of Anne Lively's death, and he figures out that there's actually two copies of of the death of Anne Lively. And the reason for that is actually a minority report. And they end up hiding that because basically the first attempt on her life was stopped by pre-crime. Yay, right? It worked. Mm -hmm. But the second one was made to look almost exactly like the first attempt, but this one was successful. Mm -hmm. 
And then he goes, so he goes to Lamar and he's like, Hey, this is what we found. This, we, we got two different things going on here. I don't think, I think that this is, there's something going on here. Burgess ends up shooting uh, Whitwer with Anderton's gun to frame Anderton for Whitwer's murder too. So now he's got him on two things. Like this dude is just framing everybody, right? Yeah. What the hell? So Lamar has Anderton arrested. They catch up to him at his wife's house. And he is arrested for both Crow and Whitworth's murders. Agatha is returned to the Precog Temple, and Precog goes back online. And John ends up in the tubes, right, mm-hmm. with the halo on and all that fun stuff. But then we get this bit where, okay, so early on when we when we talked to the, the lady that helped start Precrime, I can't remember her name now, but... She says the the female was the smartest of the three, mm-hmm. the best of the three. Here's where we get to see that Laura is better at solving the crime than John is, better mm-hmm. at solving the whole thing. Laura is, she's at like this commissioning thing for pre-crime where they're about to go nationwide and Lamar is being like hailed as like, you know, hey, great you know, this great leader of pre-crime and everything. He, she says, she's talking to him about this murder. She says something to him and he says, we will figure out who drowned Anne Lively. And she's like, I never said she was drowned. Yeah. So how the fuck would he know that, right? He goes off to do his like big premiere or whatever. And... Laura goes to the prison after she gets this information about Lamar, that Lamar was kind of the guy in, in charge of the whole thing. And she frees John. She, she like badass, like, I don't know what her background is, but she like fucking strips the dude of his gun and she like holds him at gunpoint and then like frees John. Mm-hmm. And she and John set up a situation where at a ceremony at like a party that they're throwing, for Lamar's like retirement from the pre-crime division to head up the national pre-crime division. He's like awarded a gun that the that 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 soldiers gave to generals at the civil at the end of the Civil War, blah, blah, blah. And this whole like white people shit. And Anderton calls Lamar and we get an information dump about the whole thing. And while he's telling Lamar, how he figured him out, he's playing the murder of Agatha's mother, Anne Lively, for all the guests at this thing to see. Mm-hmm. In his, the way he did this is he gets his buddy at pre-crime to upload this information to like these projectors or something at the banquet hall. And everybody is seeing what actually happened. So we see that there is an attempt on Ann Lively's life that is foiled by pre-crime, like we talked about. And then Burgess himself, Lamar, shows up, disguises himself as the person who was stopped, and then continues to murder and lively. Now, my question here is, what stopped that from causing a red ball? 
I don't know. So unless if they thought it was a glitch, because remember, remember when the first one it played back again, and they're like, "Oh, this does this sometime. It's just a, a memory or an echo or whatever." So then they just delete the second one. Okay, that's why but, he dressed up as the first one. Okay, but but my problem with that is it's it's not a glitch. It's a different person. It's not like. If the precogs are really telling the future and they're really seeing like what could happen or what might happen, yeah, they wouldn't have, they would, they would all have the same vision of the second thing happening. Yeah, I, I, I understand and yeah. I, I completely agree with you. But I think what the movie was trying to explain away was the people that saw it thought it was a glitch. And just, and then delete just tossed it. it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Uh, if I've got to, if I'm going with the rest of it, I got to go with that too. So, yeah. it just it's a little bothersome to me that there's this minutia, this minute detail of, okay, but it's not the same guy. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a different vision. Is it just some dude not doing his job properly or their job properly by like the water's going a different way? Mm-hmm. Like that's what that was the telltale marker, right? The water was going towards the shore in one and away from the shore in another. Mm-hmm. And what somebody didn't notice? If you get not that, won't you? Yeah. Well, yeah, but wouldn't you compare the two and go, wait, 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 hold up, something's not right. You would think, but you're assuming that. I mean, at first glance, it probably looks like an echo. So they, they're hoping that the person doesn't look into it more mm. and just says, oh, this is the same thing. I'm just going to delete it. So Lamar, Lamar's hope is that some peon is going to just dismiss it. He's putting a whole lot on whether or not someone's going to just be like, Meh, that's the same thing. Got to go. Well, he put a whole lot on the whole vision with Anderton and the fur in that part too. Oh, so and Leo, I, Leo. Uh, yes, I, I. What's his name? Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, you're right. There's there, a lot of happy uh, circumstances. Circumstances for Lamar in this thing. It's true. You're right. There is. So, while the banquet is going on, pre-crime gets a report that of a red ball that Lamar is going to kill Anderton. And so Anderton and Lamar end up face to face. Lamar Anderton points out that Burgess is in kind of a court quandary here. If he kills Anderton, he's going to be locked up. If he doesn't kill Anderson, pre-crime is not effective. And he's going to be disproven and his corporate legacy is going to fall apart. So Burgess takes this as I only have one shot and he ends up killing himself instead of Anderton mm-hmm. and pre-crime ends up disbanded. The precogs are retired to a secluded undisclosed location where they can live in the present and not have to be bothered by their visions. And John and Laura have reconciled and they are expecting another child. And that is the end of the movie. So the best thing on the end of this movie is the precogs get to get out of that tub of water and kind of live a normal life here. The 
slaves you mean yeah 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 Yeah, they are they were enslaved they were enslaved people so lamar murdered and enslaved people to stop other people from possibly murdering but that's not why he's doing it he's not in it to stop murders he's in Mm -hmm. it to make money yeah it's obvious just from the fact that his solution is to pay off a guy. He's going to give a dude money. Like, that's what he believes in, right? Mm-hmm. He's going to give a guy money to to, to get, let himself get killed so that the guy's family can, you know, live in this future hellscape that they've made. Yeah. So one thing that I really liked about this movie was the was the escape with Agatha and how she, when they were running through the mall after they got out of the, the hacker's place, the little VR paradise guy's place, she would tell him, stop here, wait here, just wait, just wait, just wait. And like, it would be so that like a dude that was selling balloons was passing by just as the officers were running past and looking down and seeing if they could see them, but they were blocked by it from view by these balloons having a precog while you're on the run could be really beneficial. Yeah, it's very beneficial. She told him to grab an umbrella. Nobody knows why she told him to grab an umbrella. It's because it's raining outside, and if they put the umbrella up, these guys aren't going to be able to see them because everybody's got yeah. umbrellas up. Like, that was pretty cool. I liked that. Yeah. I did like the action sequences in this movie. Yeah. Very, very, like, lively action sequences. I have a question for you. Did you think that the guy with the sunglasses on the billboard was Ben Affleck when you first saw him? No. That's the first person I thought of. It looked like Ben Affleck. I was like, that Ben Affleck? I thought that was Ben Affleck. Oh. Uh, it was not Ben Affleck. So, Did you feel like the Anne Lively connection was obvious from the start? Like he found that murder and that's when he got red balled? I didn't quite know what the connection was, but I knew it was something. I knew something with that murder is yeah. why this was all happening. Right. Yeah. No, that's, that's what I mean. Like you could, you could tell right off the bat, right? Yeah. Like there was no mystery there that no. that's what it, that's what was going on. There right. was something there. He saw something he shouldn't have seen. Right. That's pretty, that's a pretty common, like, you know, chase movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, I saw something I, I shouldn't have seen or I... I heard something I shouldn't have heard. Like, it's like Witness from 1985. The kid saw the murder, and so there's this big, you know, he's got to hide now and all that stuff. I did like the way that this movie looked. I like the way a lot of these Spielberg movies from this period look, and I think it has to do with the way that the film is processed, if I'm not mistaken. They, it gives it a bleached out Yeah, they did some. Look, there's a process that you, I think you leave out... Like you don't run it through like a like a silver nitrate or something like that mm. that that would that would normally like solidify the colors a little bit more, but it it gives you this bleached streaky look, and you see it a lot in like Saving Private Ryan and the battle scenes and stuff like that. Really, really cool effect that Janusz Kaminski kind of brought to the table in this movie. So, yeah, did you expect that Lamar was the killer of Anne Lively when you saw this movie? I don't remember. I, this time I remember just because I'd seen it before that he was the ultimate bad guy. Right. Um, but 
I honestly don't remember in the first time I watched this if I if I figured it out or not. I always thought it was dumb that he would have done that himself. I mean, yeah, he hired people he to do other stuff. He obviously has enough money to hire other people. Why right? didn't he do it then? Although he was just starting then, maybe he didn't have as much money. Yeah, okay, sure. That dude lives in a house that looks like he's been there for decades. He's plenty of money. Dude's got plenty of money. He's swimming in it. That's why he's that's why he's trying to continue to have more money is that he has all that money already. Mm-hmm. That's his idea is, hey, I've got all this money. I'm going to use it to make more money. It's going to consolidate. Why wouldn't he have hired somebody to do that? Yeah, I don't know. That doesn't make any sense. And Lamar makes some serious errors throughout this whole thing. In in the in the murder of Ann Lively, in getting too comfortable with the lie and like letting it slip that he knows that Ann Lively drowned. Mm-hmm. You know, because Ann Lively to him, it's when she brings it up, when Lara brings it up, she's like, he was looking at some some murder that happened a while ago, someone named Ann Lively. And Lamar's like, oh, we'll figure out who drowned her. How the fuck would he know that? Like, he's mm-hmm. too comfortable in his skin. And like, like, I wish this happened more, that these big villains would, like, get too comfortable. In real life, right? Like, I wish these villains would get too comfortable in their own skin and then they would pay for whatever they've done. But it doesn't happen like this. Mm-hmm. Why? Why doesn't it happen like this? Anyway, do you have any other notes that you wanted to bring up? I do. I do. Let's hear them. All right. So the precogs were all named after famous mystery writers. We have Dashiell Hammett, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and Agatha Christie. Interesting. I don't know if that was in the short story. I read the short story 20-something years ago when this movie came out, but I don't remember it. Mm, Okay. A fourth of the movie budget was financed by product placement. Duh. Lexus paid $5 million to get a futuristic Lexus called the Mag Lev in this movie. Mm -hmm. And Nokia shelled out, and Nokia paid like $2 million to have all the characters wearing Nokia headsets and stuff. My question is how much did Aqua? Aquafina pay because they were prominent too. I that one's like, not listed. I, most of these movies mm-hmm. nowadays are primarily advertising vehicles, which is beyond me. I mean, it's like, how much more do you expect people to consume? I, I don't. I don't understand. But uh, yeah, this movie is is dreadfully guilty of just shoving it down your throat. It's everywhere, everywhere in this movie. When they were signing contracts, Steven Spielberg told Tom Cruise not to take a salary. So instead, each of them agreed to 15% of the box office. The box office was $358 million, so each of them made over $50 million to make this movie. Good for them. It's a nice little paycheck. More than I'll make in a lifetime <laughs> for one movie. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a couple cameos. So on the, was it a subway train or just a regular train? It was they, a train, yeah. they, they were on a train. Mm-hmm. Cameron Crowe mm-hmm. is the guy who's reading a newspaper and notices uh, Tom Cruise's character. That is correct. But behind him, we have Cameron Diaz also. Yeah. Do you know why Cameron Crowe's in this movie? 
I do not know. Cameron Crowe's in this movie because Steven Spielberg was in Vanilla Sky that Cameron Crowe directed ah. with Tom Cruise, by the way, mm-hmm. as a guest at, at Tom Cruise's character's party. Interesting. So they traded cameos. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. I've got some alternate casting also. So this movie was delayed in filming because Spielberg decided to do AI first. Um, So originally, Agatha was going to be played by Kate Blanchett. Ooh, okay. Uh, Burgess was going to be played by Ian McKellen. Oh, wow. That would have been great. Oh, man, I love Ian McKellen. Sir Ian is one of my favorite actors. (laughs) I love that dude. And Laura was going to be played by Jenna Elfman. I don't. Here's the thing. Laura seems completely inconsequential. They save she's, her for the third act. Yeah, she's not in here all. And lot. she's barely there. So yeah. why even bother with like you know having a big name actor? I don't know. Jenna Elfman was a big name actress nowadays, but she was kind of barely there then, back yeah. then. You know, yeah. why, why even bother? You know. Yeah. Some others that were considered for the roles we have for Whitwer Javier Bardem. Interesting. Okay. But he decided not to because he didn't want to just run around chasing Tom Cruise. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love Javier Bardem. That dude, he's, he's a good actor. That man is a very, very good actor. Another one for Whitwer was Matt Damon. But he ended up, he was either filming Born Identity or Ocean's Eleven. I've seen conflicting reports to what he was filming. But he was filming something else and so wasn't mm. able to take the role. Okay. And then for Iris Heineman, Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep, okay, yeah, I could see that. I could see Meryl Streep working in that ro- in that particular role there. Yeah, I could see that working. Yeah. So the actor that plays Agatha, Samantha Morton, she is in a movie that we're going to be doing later, The Whale. Mm, okay. Yeah, I. She is. She, she's a British actress, if I'm not mistaken, but. I'm trying to imagine, like, trying to think about what I've seen her in after Minority Report. Because, you know, obviously she's not very... She doesn't have a lot of features in this. Her hair is gone. Really, you've just got her face, like her, like the face. So it's like her hair is, I think when she's got hair, it may kind of like, kind of like messes with your brain. But I don't think I've seen her in much of anything since this looking at her filmography it is it, it reads like a list of movies that i've i would never watch a lot Almost of uh, tv series too a lot of tv series yeah. she was in a movie called john carter which ugh, that's a terrible movie but sorry i mean you know oh wait she's alpha in the walking dead mm-hmm. okay so here's the thing, though. Didn't we stop watching The Walking Dead before the skin, before the before the Skinwalkers came? Okay, all right. I thought so. We never actually saw her performing in The Walking Dead. Well, I I I thought she did a good job. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it didn't have a lot to work with, but I thought she did fine. I thought what what for me what really sold it was like being in the real world for the first time in in forever. Like when Anderton takes her and he's got her in that vehicle, she's freaking out and she's mm-hmm. asking things like, "Is this real? Are we? Is it now? Is it now?" Mm-hmm. Is what she keeps asking him. Freaky, and I I love the way that she played it. You mm-hmm. know, 
right like an addict coming off of coming off of a high or getting clean you know mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. yeah anyway those people were terrorized okay so that that's all your notes that that's all is you got? everything i have okay let's let's talk about whether we're going to keep rent or erase jen you go first and tell me why though i probably already know I don't know that this movie is bad enough for an erase. I don't really care for this movie. It's not something I will probably watch again. I only watched it this time because we picked it for the series. <laughs> yeah. I had no desire to see this again. Oh. But I don't think it's a bad movie. I just think it's not my cup of tea. So sure. for a recommendation to others, I am going to go with Rent. Okay. Because I feel like others probably would enjoy this movie. Sure. Especially if you're a Steven Spielberg fan, if you like sci-fi stuff. It's kind of got a little mystery and action in here, too. Yeah. There's stuff for people to enjoy. So I'm going to go with a Rent, even though for me personally, I'm probably not going to watch it again. So Fair enough. How about Fair you? Enough. I also am at a Rent. Which I never thought I'd say about a Spielberg movie. But you know what? You changed my mind. Mm. I was going to go with keep on this. But during our conversation, you brought up a really good point. There are inconsistencies in this movie that thinking back on them, I don't know if I'm okay with. I don't know if I'm okay with the idea that how would Lamar have planted or have known to plant Agatha in this? Mm-hmm. How would How would he have known exactly what Anderton was going to bring with him to the murder of Leo Crow. That mm-hmm. to me is, that's the linchpin of this movie. Mm-hmm. And if the linchpin doesn't fall properly, to me it's it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say Rent because it is still kind of a guilty pleasure for me. I do like, like I said, some of the cinema, a lot of the cinematography of this movie is fantastic. The special effects though are dated. The performances in a lot of the cases are really, really good. I've really liked Max von Sydow's ver- uh, version of, of of Lamar. I really liked Agatha. But ultimately, I can't go with the conceit if you're not going to be consistent in the story. So I'm going to say Rent. My first Spielberg Rent. Wow. Isn't it? I don't know. I think I've said, I think I've said keep on every Spielberg. But this one I'm going to go with Rent. There are points in Dark Spielberg that I have a hard time with because of where he came from. Like, he was the ever-hopeful, oh, everything's hunky-dory, we're going to have great, you know, happy endings. He still has happy endings, but the stories are so dark, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. during this period. He can do it really well, Schindler's List. He can do it poorly, this one, you know. Not as well. How about, not poorly, we're going to say not yeah. as well, you I know. Just, I don't know about poorly, but, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, rent from me. Okay. Cool. What's up next? All right. Next week, we're going to watch Keanu Reeves kick some people's butts. Is he still looking for his dog? We're going to watch some John Wick, Chapter 4. John Wick, Chapter 4. Is he still looking for his dog at this point? I don't think like he this... was looking for his dog. He had revenge on his dog being murdered. Oh, yeah, his dog was murdered. Is he still avenging his dog then? Well, like that was the I conceit, feel, right? That like, was the first movie, yeah. And I feel like the second movie kind of went off of that, and then the third movie went off of that. So this all started because that idiot from Game of Thrones decided to kill this guy's puppy dog, killed this puppy dog, and stole his car. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't know if he would have. I think I don't think he would have gone on this killing spree if he would have just stole the car. Right, but the puppy dog was. It was a gift, a gift from, from his, his dead, dead wife. wife. Yeah. So, 
Yeah. That started it. So now all those murders are on that dude. All of these murders are this one guy's fault. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Pre-crime, man. Could have solved it. Could have saved him. Sent him away. This guy's going to kill a puppy. Get out there. (laughs) (laughs) Woo-woo. All right. So next week for three fucking hours, we will have John Wick right here on the couch. Thanks for listening, everybody. You've been listening to A View from the Couch, a Space Moose Media podcast. You can interact with our hosts on Twitter by going to twitter.com forward slash view underscore couch. You can also email us at aviewfromthecouch at yahoo.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please help us get noticed by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Thanks for listening.